Pastor Alan, if we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet you. Uh, my wife, uh, Taryn, and I are here um, at Wenatchee First Assembly as your family pastors. And um, so our whole goal is to reach out and partner with families. Um, right now, my wife is in the back with wonderful kids, leading kids ministry uh, for me today while I am up here sharing with you. But here at Wenatchee First Assembly, our goal is to focus on families. We love our families, and our community is growing with young families. And so we want to partner alongside them uh, to, to help them disciple their kids, to help make an impact on the next generation. Because the next generation is important, amen? The next generation is important. We're going to talk a little bit about that next generation and the handoff between this current generation and the next generation today. Before we do that, I want to highlight that family night that we have going on, May 20th. Pastor Jerry was mentioning that um, it's going to be a great time. There's childcare, there's dinner provided. It's totally free. This is an event for, for you maybe to invite a neighbor with their kids. Say, hey, there's free childcare, and you get to hang out, and the adults will be together connecting, playing games. If you have older kids, it's totally okay to come. You don't have to have kids that need childcare. Come on anyways. We just want to connect. Um, we're going to be having having uh, uh, the kids, we'll have their program, our youth, our middle school and high school, uh, they will have a neon night, which is going to be a great time for them, and then us adults will be in the lobby. So it's just going to be a great time because, again, when at you First Assembly, we care about making an impact on the next generation. Like Pastor Jerry said, I have seven points today, so if you're a note taker, you're thinking that this might get done by lunchtime. But I'm here to tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through them really quick. We've got a lot of information. I'm going to go through it quick. So if you hear a good point or something, you can say amen. You can say uh-huh. You can nod your head. That way I know I'm not going too fast. You're understanding what I'm saying to you this morning. Okay, thank you. Thank you. That's great. Just like that. All right, handoffs are important. Today we're talking about the handoff. This current generation, those that are 18 and up in this room watching online, we are a current generation that is always in handoff mode to the next generation. The next generation is coming up, and there's not a, a moment where all of a sudden one day uh, we're all in control, we're the current generation, then the next day all of a sudden the next generation is in control, right? It's a perpetual thing, it's continual. And we're always making sure that the handoff to the next generation is as great as possible. We understand that handoffs are important. If you're in a relay race, handing off the baton is extremely important to the race, correct? You could be the fastest person in the world in a relay race and if you screw up the handoff, you lose the race. Right? You need to be able to hand off well. It's not just about how good you can run or how great you can be, but you have to be able to hand off well to win the race. Maybe you work in a, in a corporate setting and in, 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 in business, in the business world, handoffs are extremely important when it comes to transitions of leadership. Right? Whether you're tr uh, transitioning a, a manager or a CEO, a company will make intentional decisions to make sure that the handoff goes as well as possible. Because if the handoff goes well, then the culture of the company will continue to progress, and hopefully the company will be able to do better under the new leadership than it was under the old leadership, and will continue to progress. But if you screw up that handoff, if morale dips and, and the culture gets ruined, then the company loses all of its progress, right? So if you are in the business world, you understand that handoffs are important. If you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, you understand that handoffs are important. If you're playing in Super Bowl 49, you know that if you just give a good handoff 
to one of the best running backs of all time, you might have a chance to win the Super Bowl, right? So handoffs are extremely important. So how has the handoff gone between this current generation and the next generation? About a month ago, uh, I was um, blessed with being able to go with some other kids and youth pastors from our network and the Assemblies of God. Our Northwest Ministry Network is made up of churches in Washington and northern Idaho. And we went to a conference that the Assemblies of God National Office was putting on in Orlando, Florida, called the Next Generation Conference. And the Next Gen Conference is geared towards kids pastors, youth pastors, young adult pastors, family pastors, everybody that's focusing on this handoff in their church. And we got some new statistics that I wanted to share with you. These are new this year, taken uh, statistics. Here are some statistics for you. 35 million young people raised in a Christian household will walk away from their faith in the next 30 years. That's more than one million per year. Kids that are being raised up in the church, they're, they're going and they're, they're interacting with, with Taryn and I and Zach and Maria and youth ministry, we're raising them up in the church and they're gonna walk away from their faith. 45% of teens today have never attended any kind of religious service, Christian or otherwise. They have no idea what the religious world is like. Only 8% of teens today display habits and beliefs of a committed Christian. So only 8% are reading their Bible, are praying. Three in five teens today have never read the Bible on their own. Maybe it's been read to them in Sunday school or, or you know, they've heard it read or maybe they see someone sharing scripture on Facebook, but they have no idea. If you put this Bible in their hand, they've never, ever opened it and read it on their own. Only 51% of teens today report that they are Christian. And so these numbers, this handoff isn't going well. Can we agree on that? It's not going as well as we want it to be. If we open our Bibles... I'd like us to turn to Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 13 through 15. This is a situation where uh, Jesus is, is uh, sharing and ministering to people. And starting uh, in chapter 19, verse 13, it says this. It says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to, play, uh, to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he then went on from there. So here's a situation where we get to see what Jesus thinks about the next generation and how important this handoff is, right? Jesus is, is meeting with, with these people in this community. He's ministering, and people bring the kids to him so that he can bless them. And the disciples, the people that were closest to Jesus, rebuked them because they thought Jesus was a little too busy getting ready to overthrow the Roman government, right? He's a pretty busy guy. He doesn't need to be meeting with little kids that have no idea what's going on. And what does Jesus say? He says, let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. You see, the kingdom of heaven belongs to the next generation. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those that we are raising up in the next generation. It belongs to the next generation. It always has been. And so our job isn't to necessarily control uh, what the kingdom of God is doing, but it's to how can we pass on a legacy to the next generation so that they can do more for the kingdom than we've been able to do. Amen? 
And we've tried this handoff. I'm not saying that we haven't been trying. We have. Just within the Assemblies of God, starting in the 1920s, we started focusing on Sunday school. Let's get kids in church. Let's teach them in a classroom setting so that when they get older, they know their Bible, they know about God, and that they will be fully devoted followers of Jesus. In 1925, we see a rise in youth ministries, things that are focusing just on teenagers so that they're not just continually walking away from their faith, but trying to bring them back in, connect them with the church. Vacation Bible schools start in 1930s. It's a summer camp atmosphere for kids to learn about Jesus. And then in 1940, we start doing a lot of the things like uh, singing on stage and dancing with the kids and teaching them hand motions and, and what modern day kids church looks like. That started in the 40s. So for the past 80 years, we've been trying this handoff, but I just shared with you the statistics that kids are still walking away from Jesus. The next generation is not ready to do more for the kingdom. And so we have tried to approach this handoff the same way for about 80 years. We teach them in Sunday school. We correct them through their teenage years. A church tries to hire the best kids pastor they can have, the best youth pastor they can have, so they can have the best, most fun programs to get kids in. And that's all great, but it's not working for the handoff to the next generation. And so... At this conference in Orlando, there was a lot of pastors, some that were, were pastoring youth ministries of five kids, others that were pastoring youth ministries of 2,000 kids every single week. And everyone's coming together and saying, hey, we've got to try and do better at this. Our kids are walking away from the church. There's not going to be anyone to sit in this room in the next 20 years. And so here is where we're finding the issue. On one end of the spectrum, parents think that youth ministries and family-based ministries is just childcare, and that couldn't be further from the truth. When your kids go into our gym area, they are ministered to, not just taken care of. Yes, it's safe, and, and we want to make sure that you know, everything is safe and they're being watched and cared for, but we're taking that moment to minister to them, to share the gospel with them. But on the other hand, Parents expect that that one hour in church a week is going to completely change your child's life. You, you think that you can drop your kid or your youth kid off at, at church, and that one hour substitutes all the ministering that you could be doing to your kid through the rest of the week. And we can't do that, right? So churches are coming together. We're recognizing that what kids ministry, youth ministry, young adult ministry all needs to look like is coming together as one team and partnering with families to strengthen and equip them because they are the primary disciple of their kids. We are not the primary discipler of your children, right? So what do we do from here? We know that we need to partner with families, but what do we tell these families, right? And, and uh, our, our national office came up with seven dimensions of what a spirit-filled disciple looks like. This is what I can imagine what the, the handoff looks like is making sure that the next generation is full of people that are spirit-filled disciples of Jesus. And so there are seven dimensions, and we're going to talk about those seven dimensions. I'm going to kind of blast through them kind of quickly. But first of all, we need to teach the next generation in these seven areas. Our, our youth ministries and our kids' ministries here at Wenatchee, first we're looking at these seven areas. We're saying, okay, at what age do kids need to be learning what in these seven areas? How do we develop them in these seven areas so that by the time they graduate from high school, they are a fully developed 
uh, spirit-filled believer of Jesus. So we are teaching them, but the second part is we need to be modeling it for them. We need to be modeling it for them. If I am telling kids to be nice to their neighbor and then at lunch after church they see me cussing out some guy that cut me off in traffic, that's not modeling very well, is it? I may have taught them about being a spirit-filled disciple, but I haven't showed them what that looks like. And so all of us, and this is why I think this message is not just for those that have kids in the home today, all of us together as the body of Christ need to be modeling to the next generation what a full follower of Jesus looks like. Here are the seven dimensions. The first dimension is the Bible. Disciples love and understand God's big story, and they're able to interpret and apply God's word. God's big story, the idea that uh, we are created in God's image. God's created all of us, all of creation through him. There's sin in the world. We've fallen. We've been separated from God. There's redemption, amen. Jesus died on the cross to redeem us, and there's going to be restoration. Jesus is going to return. All of creation will be restored, and it is going to be wonderful. This is God's big story. So a full disciple of Jesus understands this, and then they are able to interpret and apply God's word. Remember that stat? Three in five teenagers have never read the Bible on their own. Well, I can sit there and talk to our teenagers about how important it is to read the Bible, but if they go home and there's not a Bible in the home, they're not going to learn how to read their Bible. Maybe it sits up on the shelf and it has a layer of dust and, you know, their parents aren't actually breaking it out and reading it and showing them how important the Bible is. They need to understand that, that this is the word of God. They need to be able to interpret it and apply it into their life. The second dimension is the Holy Spirit. Disciples are truly born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and experience the empowering, leading, and purifying work of the Spirit in their life. John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. He leads into all truth. Do we want the next generation to be led into all truth? Right? We want the next generation to be led into all truth. So we need to make sure that the next generation knows the role of the Holy Spirit in their life. And like I said, this might look different depending on the age group. When we are talking about the Holy Spirit to our preschoolers, we're just trying to get them to understand that God is, the Holy Spirit is God. That you know, that there's a trinity. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just isn't a thing. It's a person, right? He's a person. And so we understand that. And then as they get older, we say, okay, what, what does a high schooler need to know about the Holy Spirit? And it, there's a spectrum as, as we grow older. But essentially, for the next generation, for this handoff to work well, they need to understand the power of the Holy Spirit. They need to be empowered and led by the work of the Spirit in their life. The next dimension is the mission. Disciples are on mission with God in all areas of life. They are able to share the gospel and disciple new believers. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is important. We have to show kids, not just teach them about the mission, but show them about the mission. Mom and dad aren't going to work just because of the paycheck. They understand that they are on mission for God when they're at work, right? Your nine-to-five job is an opportunity for you to be able to share the gospel as well. It's not just for a paycheck because everything we do is on mission. We have to model this for the next generation. It's great if kids want to go to college, become an engineer, and make a bunch of money. That's totally fine. Nothing wrong with that. I wouldn't mind making a bunch of money. 
But the purpose is the mission, not the job, not the monetary amount. Okay? Next dimension, prayer. Disciples enjoy listening to and speaking with God, growing deeper in intimacy and intercession, and fasting and crying out for the glory of God. Prayer is essential for the next generation. Here's a statistic. 42% of unbelieving teens say they would change their beliefs if they had one personal experience with an answer to prayer. So 42% of kids that are not believing say that they would consider changing their beliefs if they just had a personal experience with an answer to prayer. That tells me two things. One, they're not doing very much praying, okay? And two, nobody in their life is sharing their answered prayers with them, right? That there isn't a church that's modeling, hey, there is a God that has answered my prayer in this way. These kids aren't seeing this happening. And so we need to make sure that we model an area where we believe that God is able to do the miraculous. What we, what we worship today, and, and we had people come forward and receive prayer and, and intercession, and, and the next generation needs to see that, needs to understand that God is very real and is very active in their life. The next dimension, worship. Disciples delight in God and offer all of their life as worship to him. First Chronicles 16, verse 29. Give the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. So again, we have to be modeling. What does worship look like? Not just musical worship, but worshiping in all areas of life. The next dimension is service. Disciples see all of life as a thank you to God's grace and aim for a humble life of service to God and others. We want the next generation to be people that are not looking at themselves to serve, but looking to serve others, correct? That is when the next generation will be better than the current generation, is when people are here to serve. I fully believe that God wants you to serve. And if you don't have an area of your life where you are serving others, you're missing out on what God has for you. God wants us to be in service, in humble service to God and others. One thing that we've been working on here at Wenatchee First Assembly, uh, you know, before COVID, we had a big serve board, and uh, we've, we've updated some things, and we want to make it as easy as possible for those in the room that are not currently serving to find a place to serve. There's plenty of areas that we can serve. If you go to wfa.church serve, you can find the areas of service that we have within our church. You can, can read a short bio. You can click submit a, a simple little um, submission of, hey, I may be interested in this. And it's no commitment. A pastor will reach out to you and say, hey, let's grab coffee. You're interested in serving the worship team. Let's talk. We want it to be as easy as possible to get you plugged in to serve because that's what God wants for you. It's not what we want for you. It's what God wants for you is to be able to serve. And so when we come in and we say, hey, this next generation just stuck up. All they want to do is think about themselves. Well, then, look, are, are you modeling a life of service for them? Are you modeling an area that, hey, it's important to serve others, not just yourself? The last point is generosity. Last dimension of, of, of being a disciple is generosity. Disciples respond to God's lavish grace by submitting all their resources to God and responding to the Holy Spirit's leading in giving and stewardship. Proverbs 11, 24 through 25 says, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. 
The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And so we have to show kids and the next generation that generosity is essential and that financial giving is an essential part of being a disciple of Jesus. And notice this. It doesn't just say that we just give to God, but we respond to the Holy Spirit's leading in the giving and stewardship. And so recognizing that partnership with the Holy Spirit, hey, it's not just, it's good to, to practice, you know, just giving your 10% to the church. That's good. But the Holy Spirit is also involved. And where else are you going to give? Where are you going to be humble and, and generous to others? And we need to model this for the next generation. We teach it. We teach it because our kids are raising a ton of money for Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge right now. They're doing a wonderful job. And, and we're showing them that giving money is something that God wants. And it doesn't matter the amount of money. Some of them bring, I had a kid bring in one of those uh, pennies that was stamped at Disney. And that was their offering. And I'm like, that's not really, I can't just send that to you know, somebody. But, but we're teaching them of giving something that they think is their own and saying, well, that's actually God's. Speed the Light is an organization that's a great organization that our youth ministries focus on. We're going to be doing some more events to raise more money for Speed the Light, but it's showing middle school and high schoolers, again, money that might be theirs, they see it as theirs. We say, no, that's actually God's. And will you listen to the Holy Spirit ask you if you would be willing to give a certain amount to Speed the Light, which is an organization that helps uh, provide um, uh, cars and vehicles to missionaries that need vehicles to get to where they're going, whether it's a, a buggy to go into the jungle or it's a small car in Europe or, or whatever. And so our youth are learning, hey, this money that I have, it's not necessarily mine, it's God's. And they listen to the Holy Spirit on how much God wants them to give. Here at Wenatchee First Assembly, we just took our offering and we showed our generosity because we want to be generous to the entire nation, to our community, and to the globe. And so, you know, we have our, our, our serve, not serve board, our giving board out there that shows how much money goes all across the world every month. And so we are teaching this, but we need to model it. So have conversations with your kids about, hey, this is why we give. We're giving this amount because this is what God wants, and we feel the Holy Spirit leading us in this area. So these are those seven areas that I was talking about. And the handoff, like I said, is happening now. We need to be preparing and making intentional decisions to hand off well. It's not our job to make sure that the next generation's ready for the handoff, but it is our job to make sure that when the handoff comes, when they are 18 and they are leading the church, that they're fully devoted disciples of Jesus, that they have been taught and modeled this way of life for them. Let's turn to Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 41. I'm, I'm going to wrap up and I'll have the worship team come up. Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 41. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. 
commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. And so we have this situation where Paul and Barnabas, both very important leaders of the early church, have a disagreement here. Barnabas, he has his, what was actually his cousin, John Mark, with him. And Paul says, hey, let's Let's go to all these churches. You know, we, we were on this missionary journey. We planted all these churches. Let's go back and check on them. Ask them how they're doing. See how we can be praying for them. And Barnabas says, that's a great idea. I'm going to go grab my cousin, John Mark, and we're going to go. And Paul says, you're not grabbing John Mark. Don't you remember that guy totally deserted us last time that we were here? Some scholars believe that John Mark deserted Paul because he went back to Jerusalem to, to tattle on Paul for some things that he was doing in the church that he wasn't sure about, right? So... If I was Paul, I would feel a little bit hurt, right? And so Paul says, no, I'm not bringing that kid. You gotta be kidding me, he's done. He can't do this. They had such a sharp disagreement that they split ways. Paul and Barnabas, I mean, some of the greatest missionaries of the early church split ways. And Barnabas continued with, with John Mark. We know that Barnabas continued to disciple Mark. Mark grew a close relationship with Peter, continued to be poured into. And we see at the, near the end of Paul's life, years later, Paul is in Rome and he's, he's writing to, to Timothy saying, hey, Timothy, I don't know how much longer I've got left. It's really important that you, that you bring some scribes and some people here. And then he says, oh yeah, make sure to bring John Mark with you because he's very useful to my ministry. And so we, the Bible doesn't give, I just want such a clear picture of this. The Bible doesn't give us a really clear picture. But years earlier, Paul was saying that Mark was definitely not useful to his ministry. So not useful to his ministry, he wouldn't even let him come on his trip with him. But Barnabas didn't give up on the next generation. Barnabas continued to pour into John Mark. So much so, and, and John Mark continued to get discipled and trained up and Eventually, near the end of Paul's life, Paul recognized that and, and said, bring Mark because he's very useful to my ministry. See, that wouldn't have happened if Paul had had his way years earlier. If Barnabas would have just said, okay, sorry, Mark, I've, I've got to go with Paul. I'm obviously not going to leave Paul. But Barnabas saw the importance of the next generation. And so the future of the church, in a, in a way, is in our hands. And I understand that, you know, the next generation... They're their own people. They have their decisions to make. And some of them, they are going to choose to walk away from the church. But if we really believe that it is extremely essential to pass on the next generation, that we need to be a church of people that act like Barnabas, that are willing to partner with the next generation, model with them these seven areas of what does being a Jesus follower look like, and train them up so that when the time comes, they are willing to take care of the church. And so who are, who are you discipling? Who in your life? I know that there's some of us that have kids and we're discipling our kids. And some of us have middle school or high schoolers, we're discipling them. Some of us have grandkids, but there might be some of you that you're like, I don't really interact with any young people. Can I tell you that you can still be a Barnabas to a young person, even, even when you see them in the halls of this church, we have a ton of, ton of kids that are running around. Just let them know how happy you are to see them here. Encourage them. Let them know that, hey, you know, great to have you here this morning. My name's so-and-so. And, and you don't have to be their grandparent to, to encourage them and build them up. See, 
When at G First Assembly, we care so much about the next generation, we wanna create an environment that supports, celebrates, and loves the next generation. Here's one last statistic for you. Two in three teens would consider coming to church if they were invited. And the chances are, the reason we're not seeing so many teens in our church is because they've either experienced a Paul, someone that saw them screw up or something and kind of just thought they were a lost cause, or someone just simply hasn't invited them to church. And so if you have a teen in your life, even if you know they've said no a thousand times before, bring them to church and keep inviting them. Keep praying for them. Don't give up on them because it's essential for the next generation for us to continue to encourage and pour into them. Teens are looking for the truth. The days of, of the rise of atheism are over. Nobody is out there saying that there is no such thing as God, it's not possible, all this stuff. Most of them are open to the idea of a God. They're, they're more um, agnostic than atheists. They're more saying, there's gotta be something out there, but I just don't know what it is. And all I know is that church is filled with a lot of gray hair and people that don't like my ripped skinny jeans, okay? I saw, when I first moved here, I wore ripped skinny jeans. I saw how you looked at me, and I've, I've changed, okay? I've changed, I've un I understood my, my audience, okay? But here's the thing, if teens aren't interested in church, it's likely because they have experienced a Paul rather than a Barnabas. So will you join us in being a Barnabas today? When actually First Assembly, our goal, our goal is to inspire lifelong relationships with Jesus not just a relationship with Jesus while they're in fifth grade and then they can walk away, right? Not just taking care of them and childcare until they're 18 and then they go to college and maybe they come back later and then give their lives to Jesus. We want them to be lifelong followers of Jesus from the beginning. And in order to do that well, we just all need to get together as a church and understand, hey, we need this handoff to go well. We need to love and encourage the next generation. God has a plan for the next generation. God's plan is not done with you and I. God's plan is for the next generation and for the future of the church. I'm gonna wrap up today and um, pray as we dismiss. And then uh, when I'm done praying, you'll, you'll be dismissed. The band will continue to play, but I encourage you to go out into the lobby and meet, meet a younger person than you. Meet somebody that needs maybe some encouragement. Get to know them, build a relationship with them. Go out to lunch with your grandkids today and let them know that you're just so thankful to have them in your life. It's our job to make sure that this handoff goes as well as it can. And I, I am so thankful that I'm giving this message to this church because I know you're with me on this. I know you're with me on this. So let's do this. Let's encourage the next generation. 